0: Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month on motorcycle travel on this episode of Raw, dealing with political unrest in a country you find yourself traveling through, wild camping tips for the U.S., all that and more are coming up. But before we do that, I want to give a shout out to some people that have helped the show incredibly the past couple of months. Here we go. Mark Skechers, Robbie Savard, Kim Rollheiser, Pat Jakes, Gary Brees, David Heschel, Mark Loftus, Tom Barry, Joel Ferguson, Michael Flimmer, Ed Fleming, Joseph Stein, Keith Varley, Julian Kerr, and Brad Short. Thank you all so much for helping out. Hey, if you'd like to hear your name on here and help out the show incredibly, anything $50 or more, get your name mentioned on the show, just like you heard me do. We also send out some cool Adventure Rider Radio stickers for your bike, Um, and we would love your support on our monthly patron account. Drop by our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com, and click on support. Now, here we go, ARRA for January 2020. Now, this episode of Raw is supported by freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations. From the Canoe West Media Studio, once again, we are gathered round the virtual campfire for another session of ARR Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at our virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by most of my esteemed regular Overland co-hosts. The the only ones I'll point out right off the bat that are missing are Shirley and Brian Ricks. Um, Shirley and Brian are off on an adventure, but I'm going to start with them. Grant Johnson, he's from British Columbia, Canada. Grant, happy 2020.
1: Happy 2020 to you and everyone else out there, too. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a good year.
0: What's your um, New Year's resolution? you want to share that?
1: Uh, which one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you just make a whole bunch of them and then just let them all fly by?
1: Yeah, something like that. You make a bunch of them and certainly you're going to get one of them at least. I mean, really can't be that
0: hard. <laughs> well, that No, I like that approach. Just make a whole bunch of them and see what you come up with. Throw, throw it against the wall and see what sticks. You know, I, I heard a thing on the radio there the other day they were talking about, they had a specialist on there talking about the stress that people go through with New Year's resolutions. And they had a whole medical aspect of it, a psychological aspect of it, of making New Year's resolutions. I'm thinking... This is making too much of something, isn't it? Isn't a New Year's resolution just something you say when you're drunk, when the clock clicks over and <laughs> you forget about it?
1: What was that New Year's resolution they said last
0: night? <laughs> Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. Graham, how you doing? I'm
2: doing well. I'm, uh, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. It's just getting light. I've got a very exciting day ahead of me and uh starting with raw so it's all uh, looking like it's going to be good do you want to hear what my exciting day is going to be what are you doing today well i um when i bought this house it came with a multi-gym uh which i used occasionally then broke my back and the only thing i used it for is for hanging the laundry on on a (laughs) wet day and it just sits there gathering dust so i had this brilliant idea and goes in well with your new year's resolutions on the 1st of january on a expat um facebook site i made an advert for it because everybody says oh, i'm going to get fit this year you know, they've just spent two weeks over indulging over christmas and uh, so i said right you know you fat bastards here's my multi-gym for sale put your money where your mouth is it was so popular i had people fighting for it anyway so <laughs> sold it and um, and it's a big heavy thing thankfully they collected it because you couldn't post it and i thought well I know I just want to piss the money away. I want to do something useful. And I don't have a coat. I have infinite amounts of motorcycle jackets, but I don't have a coat. And I go for a three-mile walk every day and I thought, if I buy a coat, that will be my alternative multi-gym. That will be something that I'll use for my little walking workout. So started Googling coats. Long story short, I won't bore you with that, but found this fabulous one. They're really expensive, but found a used one. And of course, you buy it in the UK. It goes to the distribution company. It gets on a sort of truck. It comes to Bulgaria. It goes to the warehouse. It goes to the courier. And today, today, I pick up my new coat. So I'm very excited.
0: Wow. Is this like some sort of fur coat?
2: It's got a furry hood, a bit like an Eskimo, and i read reviews. People have used it for going to visit Father Christmas and watching the Northern lights in Lapland. They've used it for chilly winter days in London, and it seems quite versatile. And I just think I'm going to have a coat for the first time. This is going to be great.
0: So it's a used coat.
2: Yeah, it's used. It'll fit, you know, sort of <laughs> broken in. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sam Manicom
0: is in the UK and from the UK. Sam, um, how does 2020 feel different for you in the UK?
3: Not at all. It's still pitch black here at five o'clock in the morning. Um, but actually today I'm really happy because I'm just sitting here looking at the weather forecast. And today it says sunny intervals with a moderate breeze. And that's fantastic because I tell you what, the last three days here have been absolutely horrible. Um, thrashing storms, force eight gales and all of that sort of stuff. I spent half my time running to the window to make sure that my bike hasn't been blown over.
0: Uh, Well, that's a great thing with the internet. You can check the weather for another area and feel good. But what's the weather in your area going to be?
3: It's going to be like that. It's going to be lovely. Thank you. And, and sitting in my office underneath my um, sloping roof window, um, I'm going to sit here and watch the day wake up, and it's going to be a good day. I feel it in my bones.
0: You have an office. Your, your apartment is very, very small. How do you manage an office?
3: It's at the top of the stairs. It's the little landing. It's about a metre by a metre.
0: Ah, I like that.
3: <laughs> my landlord's really funny because he came to do a... Um, Uh, a a building visit um, a few months back and I've extended my desk out over the top of the stairs and he just came in. He said, I knew I was going to get oddball tenants when you moved in. Perfect, love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, 2020, I just love the sound of this year, 2020. Um, It it kicks off, we are kicking off year five for ARR Raw. That's pretty amazing. We've been doing this long enough now that you could actually see us get older over this time period. Now, luckily, <laughs> this is audio. So Jim, can you not it. mention that, please? <laughs> five years is the long time. Do you, do you know they say even with uh, with new businesses that um, five years is the breaking point, you know, or the make it point? I should say, if you make it to five <laughs> I years, say, this is
2: <laughs> the last show. Then, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. If you've made it to five years, then you're going to make it. That's what they say. St- statistically, that that's what it says. So, right. yeah, Good so to I, hear. I guess our, our format is, is working and I'm, I'm pleased about that myself. Yeah. Well, um, there's, uh, of course, all kinds of, of things happening in the news. And I know we're all of aware, uh, aware of what's happened uh, in Iran in the previous weeks. And aside from those incidents themselves, tragic and sad, of course, um, I can't help but wonder if there's any motorcycle travelers that were caught in Iran at the time. Does anybody know? Did anybody hear of any?
3: yeah I've seen posts on um social media from people saying, Does anybody know what we can do now? um sitting heading for the border um plans are completely stuffed um There was one chat that posted um i'm in iran um i've I'm just keeping my head down because I have no idea um and another person, a girl she's on the road in um Iran at the moment, and she says she's just getting bombarded by people who are saying, um, I hope you're feeling okay um we're not going to hurt you,
1: mm-hmm. nice. Mm. I've had much the same thing. Um, the, it's still, again, it's the old: the people are not the same as the government.
0: Yeah. Mm. No, no, and I'm, I'm not talking about the reason. I'm just wondering what it what it must be like for them to experience it. I mean, and there's all kinds of political unrest that everybody everybody runs into around the world, local, national. You know, fuel problems, strikes. Um, there's all kinds of things we hear roads being blocked. You hear that a lot about people traveling in South America. Um, the roads are littered with rocks and bricks. And I, I know Sam, you've run into that countless times probably well I wouldn't say countless but a number of times
3: yeah no several times and I think the reality is that um, many of the parts of the world um, go through political unrest and some regions are famous for it and if you set out on a long journey um, there's a very good chance that you will come across political unrest at some stage I think the um, Often there is no smoke um, without fire of some sort, but it's a case of working out from the volume of smoke how big the fire underneath really is. Is it media hype or um, is a place actually dangerous?
0: Mm. It's got to be very, very difficult because imagine if you were, you were caught right now in Iran. First of all, that was a surprise. I don't think anyone expected that. But um, where do you turn? Like, are you, do you, I mean, I don't even think you can turn to the Internet because from what I understand, there's been problems with that. I think
1: as far as where do you turn, you turn in the direction of leaving the country as quickly
0: as you can. Mm, I, I mean more for information. For information?
1: Well, if you can get internet information, sure. But you can also stop at hotels and restaurants and talk to people. Um, people will generally be very good about that. I know We were in uh, Nicaragua and Honduras during the Contra Wars, and p- people that we talked to were very good about telling us don't go over there, that's okay, don't yeah. do that. Um, they were very, very friendly and very helpful. They understood that we didn't belong there, we were foreigners, we were traveling, and they were very concerned about our safety and health. Um, we, we couldn't have been better supplied with information that we needed,
3: Locals are absolutely fantastic. Burger and I have had that on several occasions. We've been in places that have been, um, have suddenly turned a bit sketchy or we've ridden into situations that we knew were going to be a little bit on the tent side and um, asking local people have been absolutely fantastic. But I think, you know, when people are actually out on the road, um, there are things that they can do that help them deal with this situation. Um, when when they're traveling. I mean, one of the things that we did was we would be looking at the countries that we were coming to do towards and seeing if we could find out whether there was an election due to happen. Because in some countries, um, as soon as there's an election, it turns incredibly volatile. One country that we didn't know about with that was El Salvador. And that was because we hadn't actually planned to visit El Salvador. So we hadn't done the research that we would normally have done as we were traveling. Um, We went there at the last minute because um, just before we went into Honduras, um, a hurricane just slaughtered the country, Um, Just damage everywhere, Um, bust up roads, buildings down, um, people who'd lost towns and, you know, just just complete devastation. And Birgit and I felt really uncomfortable being there on our motorcycles. We just felt like we were shoving our wealth in in their faces. Um, And we'd been following a little bit in the newspapers and um about the hurricane and the its path. and it hadn't seemed to have hit El Salvador, so we thought, right, come on, let's let's shimmy across into El Salvador. Um, and I tell you what we rolled in, and um it instantly didn't feel comfortable. And with hindsight, we should have been paying attention um and we should have been looking for an escape route.
0: Hang on, Sam, um, can you talk about um uncomfortable? what what do you mean uncomfortable? In
3: that, that that feeling where there are things going on around you and you can't quite put your finger on why the situation feels edgy. It's that old saying, isn't it, about the hair rising on the back of your necks or the hair on your forearms. Um, your safety. Th- there was just, yeah, there was just this air of tension. That, and to begin with, we couldn't put our finger on what actually was happening. And then when we started getting into the first towns, um, we realized why. And um, all of a sudden they were blacked out four by fours um, blasting around with, gun- with guys standing on the running boards with-, with machine guns and all of this sort of stuff. It was a political election. And mm-hmm. the main roads, they were just almost empty because everybody was keeping their heads down and out of the way. Um, and we were told the first place that we found to stay. Um, well, actually, this is what happens. Um, people fight for power. Um, and yeah. It, it, it was a very uncomfortable place. I mean, there were funny moments. For example, back in those days, I had a ponytail that went down to my backside. And uh, Birgit and I were walking along one day and a um, bunch of guys drove up from behind us, wolf whistling. Sh- looks of horror on their faces when they realised that this guy, that, they, this bloke, that this person they just wolf whistled that had a beard. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Birgit was was made even more uncomfortable. She said, Sam, Put the ponytail down inside his jacket; otherwise, you're going to cause more trouble for us.
0: <laughs> They're but, probably um, thinking, you know, those German women look good, but the UK women, not so much.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but uh, t- t- we, when we were there, we we just realised, right, okay, now is, is, it's 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 time to get out as fast as we can, and we were asking the locals, like Grant said, what's the best way um, to get out, and logically, we wanted to head up into Guatemala. Um, and a couple of locals sat down with us with our maps and just said, yeah, go this way. Um, you'll steer clear of the big towns that way, but you won't be well off the beaten track. And that was the balance in their minds. We did exactly what they said. And, um, yeah, next day we were out.
0: Hmm. So you, you mentioned there at one point you you should have known not to go in?
3: Well, um, no, it wasn't so much a case of not, of knowing not to go in. It, it in part, it was we should have um, checked before we did, but I guess our minds were on um, just getting out of the uncomfortable situation in Honduras, so uh-huh. we weren't paying as much attention as we should have done. Um, and I think um, some listeners will remember me telling the story of um Paying our way across the border and by singing "It's a Hard Day's Night" to the um, one of the officials. Well, that was that was the border. So you know that was just a whole complete distraction anyway. And all of a sudden, we've done the paperwork and we're spat out into the country. And it didn't take that long before um, we started to get this uneasy feeling.
0: Hang on, I got to hear this story, Sam. Which one's that? The singing. Uh,
3: well. You know, when you cross borders, you hear all of these stories about the um, helpers who are going to um, sting you for an arm and a leg and um, border crossing officials who um, want bribery for absolutely everything, et etc. et cetera. There are lots of scare stories around. Um, Birgit and I never paid a bribe, um, but we were quite happy to take our time going through borders. And um, this border between Honduras and El Salvador, um, we'd not been there very long, and we were sort of watching at the, um, the the confused chaos and the lack of signs and the typical thing for border crossings. Um, and uh, this chap dressed in paramilitary uniform, um, six shooter on his hip, and the, you know the the, the the leather belts and all of this sort of stuff, sort of strutted across to us, and very um, very abruptly, sort of pointing a finger at us, "What are you doing here?" So we very politely said, um, oh, we would like to visit El Salvador. We hear it's a really interesting, attractive country, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this chap said, um, well, I'll, I'll take you through the procedure. And of course, we're a bit suspicious by this because, um, yeah, anyway, um, well, I said to him, Look, I'm sorry, we, we, that's really helpful of you, but um, we, we can't afford to pay anybody to help us to do this. Um, we'll, we'll try and make our way through everything ourselves. And he said, no, I don't want paying. You come with me, and he spent the next couple of hours walking around, taking us to the different offices and introducing us to his colleagues. And I tell you what, we were through that border crossing so fast. And then towards the end of it, he said, um, "Ah, but yes, payment." And, and our hearts sunk because you know and he had us over a barrel. Uh,
0: by you this thought point, thought you'd been had at that point.
3: Oh, absolutely nasty, suspicious mind. And he said, um, "Can you um, do you like music?" And I said, "Well, yes." What sort of music do you like? Well, you know, I like rock and pop. And uh, Can you sing? I was thinking, where is this leading to? I said, well, sort of. What's your favorite song? Of course, when you're put on a spot at a moment like that, what earth are you going to say? And so I just said the first thing that came into my mind. Oh, well, I like the Beatles. so I, I like Hard Day's Night. Oh, sing for me, he said. That's your payment. So there I am singing. It's been a hard day's night at a border crossing into El Salvador with a crowd of about 100 people around us. No,
1: don't <laughs> you, know, that. No, it's it's you, guys. We've just Hello.
0: had Shirley hey, and guys. Brian just drop in out of – We where, just, where just is? drop in
4: yeah. and we're saving Sam's bacon.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I was going to mention that one of our parties made us sing uh, at Dean's Australia Fair in front of an audience at the Savoy Hotel, um, <laughs> which was um, – Rather embarrassing because everyone was out of tune, but that's okay. How are you going, Sam?
3: Yeah, I'm doing really well, and I've been loving following your you guys' pictures. Um, I've been to some of the places that you're going to, and there was that one road sign that you stopped by, the one that was all with, um, what was it, the 40 bends?
4: Yeah, and I yeah.
3: thought, yep. I stood there. How cool is that? <laughs>
4: <laughs> we've just done 36. We're back in Uti, um, and uh, we've stopped at a dentist. where One of our travelling companions needs a bit of dental work. So it was perfect timing. We could call in ever so briefly, from Uti in Tamil Nadu in in southern India.
0: Well, well, give us a rundown on what you're doing.
4: Well, it's just a little 10-day tour with a group of um, friends. There's eight of us all together with a guide and a vehicle which has our luggage in it, which has been really good because I've done a little bit of shopping, which I know will come as a huge surprise. (laughs) But we've ridden through forests and jungles and we've seen monkeys and and deer and elephants and... um, Unusual birds and amazing scenery and absolutely pocket. horrendous roads, and we're oh. on a, a little five hundred Royal Enfield. And can I say the suspension for the pinion panager, passenger is not quite up to the BMW standard?
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, sure yeah, might. we're having a ball, and I uh, carry bike tours is uh, got a guy. i gone with Dan and um, uh, Nazir. Nazir. Uh, are the owners of Kerala Bike Tours, and they've done a great job for us. Hey, how easy is this to travel? You don't have to worry about your luggage and or accommodation or direction. So Shirley's off the hook. You know what her directions are like with GPS. <laughs> 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 Ryan,
3: right, are you winding up for another clip round here?
4: Oh, is it?
5: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well,
4: I've got to be a oh, bit kind to him. Come on, it. come on. Yesterday sir. we were staying in um, a the really bike cool bike. place that had a little track and little quad bikes. Now, can I tell you that someone out of the group we're with, guess who, came off the quad bike, over the handlebars, has hurt both his hands. Thank Christ <laughs> he had his helmet on because he's I
5: scraped, a I scraped <laughs> Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. <laughs> no rider error. The front wheel uh, decided to separate from the bike as I was oh. sideways drifting around a corner. <laughs> So uh, a face plant into the dirt um, meant the helmet's got a big scratch right down the visor where you, where you have to look through. <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, the bike landed on top of me, but uh, that's okay.
0: Are you no riding too up went... on the ETV?
5: No. Oh, God, uh, no. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Oh, I no. was actually riding <laughs> at the time, <laughs> and I was catching him.
4: That's sure you right, were. Grant. I'm way too smart for that. I was sitting on the veranda of the bungalow just enjoying the – the area, uh, we woke up yesterday morning to monkeys hurtling across the roof of the bungalows we were staying in, and a herd of spotted deer, and uh, it was just an awesome way to start the day, watching all these wonderful creatures. Oh, Jim, your dog's upset. Who's dog's
5: at?
0: Hang on a second, I just got to give her a needle. There you go. <laughs> There you go. See? I thought, I thought that was going to be a
3: dog in India barking. I'm
5: going to say no. there's no horns, there's no background no. noise. We're in, a, we're, in a side street, we're in a side street in Uti with the, just a few motorbikes going past, a couple of tuk tuks. And we're actually and we're sitting in, in the a, fire of a dentist surgery.
4: <laughs> <and> so, it's so
2: quiet and peaceful. Well,
5: no, I mean, the guys are at altitude because, you know, there as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a little bit uh, uh, oh, yeah. air-hungry um, just before, but we stopped at a little place um, where there was a monkeys at this little lookout, and um, one of our partner, uh, our mob, uh, left his tank bag open, and a monkey got into the tank bag, took a, a bag up into a tree, uh, and was most disappointed when all he found was toothbrushes and toothpaste. And they were dropping <laughs> out of the tree. He yeah, <laughs> jettisoned oh,
4: from the top of the tree and then threw the, threw the wash bag back down in disgust. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, yesterday I had the door of our bungalow open and a mother and baby came hurtling in, stole um, a big lump of sugar off the sideboard and some bananas off the top of the fridge and scarf it. In and
5: out oh,
4: within
5: monkeys. about 25 fast. seconds. Fast. <laughs> they are so fast. And we've instituted <laughs> a fine system for this group that um, any stuff up you have during the during the day, we sit around, have a quiet uh, drink and discuss and everyone gets fined 100 rup um, for indiscretions. I'm, I reckon I'm way in front at the moment um, with the fines. But um, all that money goes to to tips for our our beautiful um, staff and people that we meet along the way. So, you know, if we can do it, we do. So it's all good fun. I've got to say, Dan's done a great job organising accommodation. Our first night was on the beach uh, in uh, Kochi and uh, all sorts of different accommodation from bungalows in the jungle to the Savoy Hotel in Uti. So. Very, very different sort of traveling, and it's been great. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And the, I've got to say, the infields are made for this sort of territory. You know, I mean, they just chug along. They're really, um, really good, apart from the lack of suspension. You can see why the Himalayans going to be popular over here. We've seen quite a few of them on the road too.
0: So um, so you're saying you're, you wouldn't quite swap it for your bike for Big Red?
5: Uh, you, uh, you do know, Jim, I no, have one I... in the shed. <laughs> Do you?
2: <laughs> what
4: a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. And I see you're all putting into the, um, the auction for the fires in Australia. Of yeah. course. I see Grant sent some DVDs and you guys are sending some books. That's fantastic. Yeah,
5: thanks, guys. That's fantastic. Well done. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, I... it's, it's phenomenal what's been a, 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 um, around the world. People just – Putting in and the loss of wildlife is just horrendous.
2: Yeah. Well, my mum's been telling me about the, the burnt koalas on the news, and so when. Yeah. Uh, I decided to give some books to the charity. I, I contacted dispatch, and I said, um, these are to save some koalas. Oh, <laughs> so,
5: so she was all over it, yeah. Oh, that's really Single-handedly that's saving a koala, mate. That's great. Thanks, Graham. <laughs> yeah.
0: Elizabeth was right in there as well, sending a donation to, to help. I mean, it really tugs your heartstrings oh, when you see this stuff. Yeah.
4: yeah. Well, it's, it's, the tragedy is that some of our unique creatures will now be
5: extinct. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Okay. You, you know the guys that have been here uh, in Australia. You know that wombats dig into the ground and and uh, have their, their burrows right underground. Apparently, after the bushfires have been going through, the wombats have actually been corralling other animals into their burrows. To yeah. to, uh, no, to protect them. no,
3: no, I heard that too um, from a couple yeah. of other sources. I and mean, most people don't realise that wombats are huge. I mean, oh, yeah. they're they sort of oh, large Labrador size, aren't they? Bigger than that,
5: maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That
4: vehicle. You certainly don't want to hit one in a no. vehicle
5: of any kind. There'd be Dozer roll roll cars over. Yeah.
3: Before I went to Australia the first time, I used to think that they were sort of large pushy cat size. <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> far, far, far no, no, It's more like a seal.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> But the hey, listen, your there. your mate has done really well, hasn't he? I mean, here you are recording away quite happily and there are no screams of agony. What a good dentist. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, I'm not quite sure. It's very quiet from where, where yeah. she is. So yes. Hopefully, yes. hopefully she's
5: all right. Julia's very stoic and uh, she's um, riding well. We've got two ladies riding with us. Um, one who's very well associated with um, women on wheels. And um yeah. Yeah, it's been great, really good, and all my good riding buddies
0: too. Brian and Shirley, are you staying with us for a little bit?
4: Well, until yeah. the dentist finishes or my data runs out, whichever happens first. <laughs> so, Because <laughs> we've still got a long way to go today. We've only just um, – it's only just gone uh, 11 o'clock here, so we've only done one leg up to Uti again, and then we're going down the other side to stay somewhere else tonight. And I think on the other side of the hill there's 70 – Hairpins, eighty, 80 hairpins 80. to negotiate mm-hmm. before we get to mm-hmm. our night stop. So,
3: but yes, oh, listen, we're are, free. Are they still doing the the little hill trains and stuff like that? There, uh, I haven't
5: seen, seen the see hill it, trains, yeah. but well, if you get a chance uh, to, do, you, you go and see. If you
3: get a chance to, go and have a look because these are narrow gauge um, railway trains that you know hundreds of oh, years no,
4: old. That, yeah, they are doing that. I don't know that we're going to have time, unfortunately, but oh. we um, we've seen. Some quite incredible modes of transport, usually on our side of the road, <laughs> heading towards us. But um, you know, the trucks and buses are the same. But one thing we've noticed—we haven't been in India since two thousand and three—and I'm not sure if you noticed it, Graham, when you were here last year. The how much cleaner it is. Well, oh, right. But how much less <laughs> rubbish there is on the on the wayside. Up in Uti, wow. plastic is banned. Yep. Completely. Wow. And all the way oh, through the forest coming up, there's been signs, you know, save the save the planet, say no to plastic. Um, uh, you can't get soft drink or water in plastic bottles up here. Uh, no plastic. It, when we bought um, some duty-free at the airport when we arrived, you don't get a plastic bag, you get a woven bag. Um, I have done, as I said earlier, a little bit of shopping, yeah. and we've got, um, they give you woven bags and paper bags rather than plastic. So it's, um, they're very progressive I, in that, much better than um, Australia in some instances.
2: Yeah. I also yeah. noticed that the, you used to get the red stain from the beetle juice that they would chew and spit, and you don't see. So no. much of that sort of up yeah, the walls, in. and and of course they they somehow managed to ban smoking in public in a country of over a billion people. They've managed really? to enforce it. Wow. That, we
4: yeah. we saw a guy smoking today. He pulled up on one. the side of the road. He's the first one we've seen, and we've been here over a week.
2: But it's, right, it's um, so round. It's, I used to love having a cigarette with me chai. I smoked back then in in India. uh,
5: You would too,
2: (laughs) And A little biddy or something. But now, um, yeah, incredible. It seems so lawless and outrageous to see someone smoking
5: in public. I
4: know. It's so different, isn't it?
5: So, so different. But the the Kerala is now a green corridor for elephant and tiger. They're they're creating sanctuaries right through here. So, you know, riding up through the jungles, has just been marvellous. And apparently Japan's putting a lot of money in here because they've recognised that the forests here actually (laughs) actually, – yeah, thank you. There goes (laughs) a tool. They've actually uh, worked out that um, their climate is affected by the rainforests here. So they've um, spent a lot of money – Um, Pouring it in to to help them regenerate forests
4: so you have to get permits to ride through ride through some of these places and they give you two hours to get from checkpoint to checkpoint and there's lots of amazing signs along the way saying no selfies uh no no stopping no no cooking Why you would want to stop and cook in the middle of an area that is um, inhabited by wild elephants i don't know but um and the no selfie one is uh, is quite good. That um, We did try and get a selfie, selfie with the yeah. no selfie sign, but we failed. we failed. What
0: happens if you don't make it in the allotted time?
4: <laughs> well, they are very strict. Um, one of the roads we came through, or you know, several of them, are closed at night because it's too dangerous for any vehicle to go through. And they stop two-wheelers, as they call bikes, going through from about 4.30 onwards, um, whereas uh, the cars and trucks can go through until six o'clock, but uh, it's just too 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 dangerous to yeah. turn many creatures around yeah. at nine. But, so, so it's, it's less
5: an
2: of. I was going to say it's less of an elephant passage and more of a trunk road. Then. Oh,
5: elephant passage more of a trunk road.
4: You're on it, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> on fire. What time of the day is it in Bulgaria, Graham? It's early in the
2: morning, isn't it? Seven thirty, but the coffee is yeah. strong. The blood's flowing.
5: Coffee strong it a vodka? What do
2: you think? I'm not doing that anymore. It ruins the rest of my day. But, but Graham's
0: very stoked for today because he's getting a, a coat that a bunch of people have worn to different places and he's really excited about it. <laughs> it's,
2: Sorry? You'll have to listen to the recording I'm it's not telling
4: the story again. <laughs> we'll, we'll, listen. we'll listen when it's posted.
5: I hope you guys are answering the questions that have been put up about camping and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we're, we're, we're clean clean. We're
2: inter- we were rudely interrupted by a couple of, a couple of holidaying Australians.
0: You can hear it, can't you? You can hear that holiday mood they have. Yeah. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, it's, you know, early in the morning and the sun's shining and the air is cleaner in India than it is at home in Australia at the moment because of the bushfires. So who would have well. thought you'd go to India for fresh air? <laughs>
0: We were talking about um, sort of political unrest actually before you guys got in here. Um, just dealing with po- political unrest, and hopefully you guys aren't going to have to deal with anything like that while you're you're on your trip. But um, we we're talking about um, what happens when you do, you know, and and. Um, and uh, the different things that people have gone through, particularly, and you know we've we've been you know we've all followed the bits of what have happened in the news. Not really what happened, but we we're talking about people getting stuck in Iran um, because of that. And anywhere else for that matter. and and we we sort of went down the line of discussing um what people have done in situations like that. But I, I was curious if if you guys had any any rules or or things that you did for yourself when you're going into a country or when you're planning a trip you know, sort of looking into things like that, in particular places that may have a a bit of a hot reputation.
4: I think you've got to be aware of of, um, what you're going into,
5: don't you? Yeah, I think think that's right. I I mean, uh, we were advised not to go into the western side of Nepal uh, because of uh, mouse uh, insurgencies and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we actually did go into that western side of Nepal and didn't have a problem. But um, apparently... Um, They were pretty good, the the mouse over there, because uh, if they pulled you up, you would make a donation to their fund, you would get a receipt. So if you got pulled up again, um, you just showed the receipt. Oh, you've given to the cause. Thanks very much. <laughs> we we got yeah, that. That's,
2: that's and, really, uh, really yeah, yeah. They were very on We were we were hiking up in the pool, uh, and uh same thing happened to these uh, young, they were only kids, these sort of like what they call not Maoist terrorists, but Maoist soldiers or something, aren't they? But um yeah, but yeah, they yeah. but they were but they were kids, you know, really. But they all came into this it was freezing cold. We were sat around this single little tin log burner in this room. And they came in, the owners give them some coffee and some food um, sort of to support them. And they all came yeah. and put their guns down and are warming themselves around this little central log burner with this chimney going up. And I think, well, you know, don't say anything, don't antagonize them, you know, they're, they're only kids, it's hard to know. And um, yeah. one of the kids uh, put his hands on the chimney that was coming up, the metal chimney that came come out <gasps> oh. and burned his hands. And I thought, right, this is the mentality we're dealing with. Then is it? <laughs> He's
4: carrying a firearm. Yeah.
3: Oh, are, are we going to yeah. get puns now? A firearm. Oh
2: no! That's good, Shirley. You didn't even realise it. <laughs> <I do know.
5: laughs> uh, it's, it's 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 difficult in political areas, you know. Um, we've got Kim and Carol, our friends, um, the Juvals. They're travelling down through Morocco and going south, down through Africa and. I'm just not sure how they're going to go, because once you get past Timbuktu, it, it gets a little hairy down through there. Just not sure. But anyone, uh, You've gone through there, Sam, haven't you?
3: I haven't been down through um, that part of West Africa. I, I, I keep my finger fairly um, on the pulse of what's going on down there. And I think, to a certain extent, it's going to be um, luck of the draw. Um, yeah. 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 I think if, if they um, and these, guys, these two have been travelling so much they know all of this sort of stuff and they will be watching what the Foreign Office says, they will yeah. be reading CIA reports they will be looking at what the Australian authorities are saying and between those three you can get a fairly good idea of what's going on on the ground um, I think they also know well enough not to trust what the mainstream media is saying because it's. Mm. we were talking about the um, size of smoke and how big the flame is underneath it um, earlier on yeah. but they'll yeah. also be asking other travellers that are coming towards them and they'll also be doing things like if they come across a mission station then they'll be asking at the mission station because these guys have um, tendrils that, fit, that just sort of go yes. all over the countryside and they're fantastic sources of information <laughs> Local
4: knowledge is a is a big thing, but also in in any of those areas, just keeping your wits about you and not acting like an idiot.
1: Yeah,
2: sorry, sorry. Can can I talk about the lighter side of political unrest a little bit? Yes, please. Please. Right. Well, I've been through places which have. Got headlines. It's a bit like Sam was saying. How big is the flame, and uh, how to compare to the amount of smoke um, through Mexico in 2012? And um, Vera Cruz had quite a, 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 a dodgy, it was quite a dodgy area. And I mean, the year before in 2011, 35 naked bodies had been dumped at this intersection uh, as a show of power by a drug cartel. You can, you could. I was taken. I knew an expat who lived there. And you taken past houses sprayed with bullets. So uh, any Mexican will tell you, and it was well used as well. what a, a dodgy era it was. But there was a, a, a little selective incident that had happened a year ago. We were I was doing a ride with my Canadian friends who lived down there and through some little villages, and they stopped and they were very concerned because there were new there was new graffiti, um which obviously I couldn't read. But it was new graffiti and what it was it was the farmers protesting because they have to pay bribes and um and various subsidies uh, substances to the extortion people who come around and the extorters have got so greedy the extortion was so high that the farmers were rebelling so there was this political if you want to call it unrest that was going on i was B- oblivious to and it wouldn't really affect me i wasn't one of the extorters i wasn't one of the farmers so it to a degree it was naive bliss you. um a- naive and then the next me, like to introduce yourself get <laughs> you.
4: oh, <that's laughs> him
5: <laughs> <It's just laughs> to come and say hello <laughs> <laughs>
4: all right. he's now getting photographed. So well, we may have I, I, to bail, I,
5: I, What guys. I'm going to do is I'm going to go outside and start up the one lung infield for you, so you got the true traditional sound of India. How's that sound, guys?
4: Yeah, okay. too right, kind of, uh,
5: right. right. Yeah, just hang on. I'll, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll, go,
4: we'll wander outside, and outside, start up the bike, and then we'll um, yeah, we'll surprise. Really? Okay, so we're out back in the street. Tuk-tuk's going by.
3: What's the street look like, Shirley? Oh,
4: it's really narrow, and uh, it's in the suburbs. It's, um, it, there's no shops. It's just little houses, and a lot of them are really brightly coloured. Um, so Brian's just getting his act together with this Royal Enfield Thunderbird 500 we're on. That's an electric star.
3: Yeah. It is an
4: electric start.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, an excellent horn.
4: It is an excellent horn. Yeah. Very
5: important.
4: Oh, the horn is the most important thing. Hang on, I'll put Brian back on.
0: There you
5: go, guys.
0: Sounds beautiful. I thought you were going to be kicking it.
5: I was expecting some, <laughs> hearing some compression no, and some no, pulse. No, not kicking it, mate. No, no. You hear the little tick, 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 tick. They're be- running yeah. beautifully.
4: Yeah, it is. Cool. There goes the tuk-tuk. <laughs> Here comes another tuk-tuk, <laughs>
5: All right, we'll start off with a tuk-tuk noise. See you, guys. Take care. Bye. Have a Bye. Have Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, there they go. That's Brian and Shirley heading off on more of an adventure. Well, that was interesting.
1: Don't we all wish we were there. Yeah. Including everybody <laughs> listening. <laughs> Totally upstaged this, is not it, really? <laughs> we're,
2: just, we're just calling in from our glamorous holiday, and now we're going to continue it. Off you go.
0: <laughs> well, we have to thank the person that needed the dental work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Graham, back to what you were saying. You were in the middle of your story.
2: Okay. So that was the uh, the thing in Mexico. Um, the following year, I was in Turkey, and this is
0: twenty thirteen. Oh, okay. Now. Well, hang on. Did anything happen there? You, you mentioned going in, and you, and you couldn't read the the, uh, the graffiti, and you and you well, something no. was going on.
2: Well, like I say my my friends who were aware um, were, were, were very concerned uh, that this was going on in the area, and and. You know, they, they, you could do research. How much research would you have to do to realise that as a foreigner passing through some small mountain villages in New Mexico? I think naive bliss was a pretty justifiable state for me to be in. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw no trouble at all. The, ri- what the, the, the writing on the wall, which it literally was, was of concern to them. And um, I don't know how justified they were in, in their concern, but w- we didn't see anything of, of, to worry about. All I saw were the pastoral churches and the beautiful little villages with people sitting outside drinking their, drinking their beers and that. So, no, uh, al- although there was something happening which was of concern to certain people, it didn't affect me at all. Um, so that was that, yeah.
3: You're making me think about um, when you're traveling up through the Andes and you're going through some countries like Peru, for example, Bolivia, um, and the the farmers again, they're, they're out protesting. And they're burning tires and putting rocks on the streets and this sort of stuff. And um, they're pretty angry because their their lot is hard. But you, as a traveller, if you're treating them with respect, then um, inevitably they're passing and um, making a way for you to get through. So it could look incredibly tense and scary, but actually, treating the locals with respect, um, it's it's it works out fine, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Through those things, that uh, generally they would say, "Oh, you're a foreigner. You know, go go ahead through." And, and of course, you make sure to say, you know, good luck and we hope it all goes well for you and things Mm -hmm. like that, Um, just kind of in support. And generally, they'll just wave you through. Although I did come to one where nobody was going through. This older woman was in charge and nobody was going through. And the Army was there and military and all kinds of people and guns and the whole thing. No, nobody's going through. So we sat there for about three hours before they finally said, "Okay, you can go. Mm -hmm. It's just us. You're the only ones allowed to go. Yeah, That's the way it is. But they don't bother you. It's it's not a problem. There's nothing to fear. You know, there's a guy standing there with a gun, but he's interested in your bike and what you're doing.
3: Yeah, exactly. You get fearful and you get angry and you make a situation happen, don't you?
1: Yes, absolutely. You just be very friendly and very relaxed and it's all okay. You know, they know what they're doing. They know what they want. You can't do anything and they know you can't do anything and they're not going to get anything from you. So what's the problem? It's okay. So you, I think people just have to realize that these situations are not a place where you start panicking and getting scared and freaking out. You just relax and go with the flow and it's all going to be fine. I think, yeah. Oh, equally, I was in, in Turkey
2: in 2013, and the whole thing was kicking off with the uh, Gezi Park protests, which started in Istanbul, but then escalated throughout the whole of Turkey. Again, this was something I was oblivious to, but three and a half million people were out across Turkey on the streets protesting. My mother was seeing it on the news. I wasn't seeing it on the news and I wasn't seeing it on the streets either. So, you know, the the home office was sort of where in, in the UK were telling people to be wary of going there. Again, it wasn't something that I was seeing or aware of. And from there I crossed into Iraq and around that time uh, Islamic State were changing their name to ISIS and it was all beginning to boil again. Exactly a year later, they invaded Mosul and it all kicked off big time. So there is this stuff that is going on and making the news, but it's either isolated or it's not affecting you or you're oblivious to it. And so it can all seem quite intimidating, even in retrospect, or for the people who are more, switch- uh, more aware of it. But you, as an as a independent um, traveller, probably aren't going to be affected by it that much. And just to finish off this subject, last year I was on a little island which is uh, growing in insignificance and is having several different unelected leaders taking over. And um, you couldn't escape, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing a conversation about Brexit. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you, you this is what classic. was happening in the UK. You mentioned mainstream media and, and what they're reporting, but if they're reporting some unrest, obviously they have something to film and, and, and something to to focus on there. I'm just kind of wondering so, how much of it is real? Um, how much of it is real, what's happening there, compared to what you may be just um, a happenstance? You're, you're missing it, in other words, because you, you said you yeah. weren't even aware that it was going on, Graham. If you were at that area where the protests were, it could be a different story.
1: Yeah, we were in but Nairobi. I'm saying in, yeah. is- yeah, go ahead, Graham. You finish, and all, then I've got a story. Well, all I'm say-
2: saying is, it's it's it is very isolated. Where the cameras are is a very small part of a very big country. That's all I'm saying.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in Nairobi in '97, and we were out wandering around and doing various things and just doing the touristy thing. We got back to the hotel, and there was an email from my mother who was freaked out and saying. There's, there's riots in Nairobi. Are you guys okay? They, they say that the town is burning. No. So we started asking around. And the first like 10 people we asked, know nothing about it. Don't know what they're talking about. And finally, we found one guy who said, oh, yeah, there, there was a bit of a mess going on down near a police station somewhere. And some people got arrested. And that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was it. There was only the one incident. And this was international news. So I take all that stuff with a big grain of
0: salt. But I wonder how much of that is is um, sort of leveled out now with the with the media the way it is or with with the social media the way it is, the internet the way it is, because you can get information out of places quicker. Like back in, in 97 when you were there, there wasn't uh, a lot of information flowing back and forth country, especially internationally. No. And and mm-hmm. also if you're from another area and you listen to, you hear Nairobi, you may not know the country, you may not know, is it a town? Is it a city? Is it a country? You know what I mean? So that these things can get sort of bent out of of shape as far as people back home
1: and we all know the big phrase if it bleeds it leads so Mm -hmm. if it's a slow news day and there's a tiny little incident it's all over the news and they'll run the if you watch closely when they play these clips you'll see the same clip 10 times in 45 Mm -hmm. seconds it's amazing Mm -hmm. how often they reuse and reuse and reuse because that's all they've got there They've got that.
3: 15 different experts all talking about the same yeah, mini clip right. of film. And, <laughs> yeah. and
0: yep.
3: it's, it's it's just shocking. And I think the overlanders need to pay attention.
0: Or interviewing neighbors or something like that, or family friends of, of people who've been, you know, who were in, involved with something.
1: Yeah. yep. I, I Take it with a the grain of salt and pay attention and use your own head. And ask the locals and see what's going on in the area where you are and pay attention. I remember one story. There was a couple of were in Bolivia during some big major demonstration and election and everything. And the hotel they were staying in, the people just said, yeah, just stay in your room. Um, it'll be all blow over in a couple of days. and It'll be fine. Okay. And yeah. they did. They sat, They actually had a um, like an upstairs balcony where they could look out over the streets. And they said it was great to watch. Yep. <laughs> just stay back.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that Bergen and I do is we always try and work out um, an alternative route. Um, If we know that we're going through a particular area that has a reputation for being dodgy, um, then we'll be looking for an alternative route. So let's say we plan to go from A, B and C to work our way through that country. Well, we'll also be looking for a DEF route. And we'll also be looking for um, the different border crossings into neighbouring countries, just so that we're aware of the possibilities if we have to react in a hurry um, and it doesn't take much to do it and actually i find it interesting um, it's, it's, it's opening up a part of the country that we wouldn't necessarily be going through and therefore not learning anything about um, we also have a look at what's going on in neighbouring countries in case we have to make a, a, a run for those and again I just treat that as being a bonus of the trip because I'm learning a bit about something else that I wouldn't necessarily have a chance to ride my motorcycle tyre tracks over I, I treat it as um, just part of the fun of the journey finding out what's going on in those sorts of things But one of the things that I will say to people is, look, if you are going to go into an area that you think um, has um, a potential um, for things going a little bit pear-shaped, then have a look and see um, what your embassy is saying. And if the embassy is saying to you under no circumstances should you be going into this country, then pay attention. If it's as strong and it's as blatant as that under no circumstances should you, then don't be stupid and go there unless you have absolutely no choice. And the point that I'm trying to make is, you might be absolutely fine. But if you know that you're going to put your hand in the fire big time, somebody else may have to put their life at risk to come and get you out. And with that in mind, when you go into a country that's potentially tense, and it may have been quiet for months and months and months, so you're, you're quite comfortable about going there. Things are on the up. But still... Know where the the address of your country's embassy and what their contact details are. Let them know when you plan to arrive and what your route through the country is going to be. Let them know when you plan to be out and where you're aiming to get out. And when you do leave the country, then let them know again because if something does go wrong you can save them an awful lot of hassle and you can end up making keeping yourself that much safer and like I said, you know, you may be going to a country that's months and months and months, absolutely fine but if it's a tense area well, you never know, so it's a very small precaution, but it can make a big difference
0: Yep Good Graham, advice I was going to say, do you have any advice? <sighs> well what the others said um I don't
2: know if I've got advice on it everything they said makes sense I'm more about um, keep it in perspective and, um, and and like like we've already said really you know try and try and see what the media is saying versus what the reality is in in my case it was sort of done in retrospect but it, it just sort of shows I, I always think when we do these shows that it can get so daunting and intimidating there's so much preparation and things to look out and worry about and i don't want to say just go off regardless but there there is a much smaller chance that anything significant is going to happen to you in that respect it's more likely you'll be uh, oblivious unaware and just sail on uh, without and just because something made the news it's, it's again. Like I have said, it's a selected, a very small selective area, and the rest of the area is going to be just fine. Like, like, um, like Grant said right at the beginning. You know, the governments are like each other, and people are like each other, and there, there's no common, there's no, there's no link there. So people are good, regardless of what's going on elsewhere.
3: Mm. I agree, and I think you know, if your instincts say don't go, then don't go. Because you are just been making yourself worry. So follow your instincts. Use your common sense. Be aware. Don't be a traveling hermit and talk to people.
1: Yeah. I just like Graham's comment about perspective. Uh, to bring something into perspective, a few years ago, tourists, uh, particularly German tourists for some reason, in Florida that rented uh, rental cars were being targeted and attacked and robbed and a couple were killed. So, guess which country got on the German government's list of do-not-go-to countries in the USA?
5: <laughs>
1: so there's perspective for you. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's painting with a pretty broad brush, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. You know, we I, we I know we've said this before about mainstream media because um, I, I, we've talked about this before, but the mainstream media obviously covers, I think somebody said, uh, it might have been Graham, said something about uh, the camera. You know, they're, they're pointing their camera at something. And that's true. I mean, you got to point your camera at something where there's action. The reason they do that, though, is because of the viewers. The viewers want to see that, that uh, well, the dirty laundry, if I, if I dare Ooh. use that from that line from the <laughs> song, right? That, that's true, though. That's, that's what people want. And, it's, and until people stop focusing on this bad stuff they want to hear all the time, I don't know why, it's a, a thing of being scared or what. They even do it with the weather. You know, we have a weather system coming in here now, and, and they talk about it. like it's, they, they do the same thing as what Sam was saying, bringing the experts, you know, talk about this weather, and really dissect the whole thing. It's just weather,
2: yeah, the, the the snowfall is going to be is going to be higher. The the winds are going to be stronger, yeah. and the, the, the reality is never quite as severe as the threat is. No, <laughs> so. and it
0: seems like everybody loves the whole build up. Afterwards, nobody talks about it. It's just over and done. They move on to the next thing. Yep. But you know, I don't know that
3: people do. When I was with the last trip in the States, I can't remember what was going on, but it was just hour after hour after hour of repetitive, all talking about exactly the same thing and all these experts. And I was going in places and staying with friends and this sort of stuff. Nobody was listening to it at all. Mm. Nobody was listening to this stuff. It was mm. just drip feeding away in the background, scaremongering and all that sort of stuff. And actually, it was completely boring. And I found myself wondering whether the reason that the news stations were doing this was because their budgets are so blooming small. They've got to fill the space with something. um, And so they just take this stuff, repeat, repeat, repeat. I don't think most people are interested in hearing the scare stuff. What most people are interested in is actually learning what's really going on for sure. And I think that reporting standards in so many instances have got so bad, budgets are so small, um, that this just isn't happening anymore. Maybe yeah, that's just me be right. being a
0: cynic. You, you you may also be with the cultured few, you know that. Um, yeah, the, the people you're. I hanging think there's with. a lot of
2: people who just people. There are a lot of people who just turn on their TV habitually first thing in the morning. It stays on all day, and they don't have anything else to do, and so they will sit there and be entertained and scared and worried and threatened by by this drip feed of what people who are out in the real world see as, as nonsense. of yeah. going back to the weather, I always thought that the weather report ought to start. With a little inquisition to the meteorologist, saying, "Well, you said yesterday that we were going to get five inches of rain, and it, we barely had a shower. So, um, explain yourself."
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good series. I like that. <laughs> well, well. Speaking of that, we're we're going to start a um a new thing with this episode here with Ra. I'm just going to go through the list of countries that you you shouldn't visit according to um. I thought what we'd do is we'll take a break at this point. There's um, a couple of companies that I want to give a shout out to actually for their support. Um, So let's do that. And then we'll come back and and chat some more. We'll talk about our plugs too at the same time um, with this. So um, one one of the uh, supporters of this episode is Fresh Tracks, freshtracks.co.uk. They've been around since the the nineties, I guess. And and really, what Fresh Tracks does is um, they work with companies and, and large groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, um, build communication skills through uh, team building exercises. So they they've worked with companies like uh, Mars. You guys eat Mars, Mars? Of course.
1: Very fattening. I used to live near the Mars factory in England. Wow. Oh, did
0: you? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I like Mars bars. I haven't eaten them for years, but I do like them. Anyway, Pfizer, Yahoo, Comic Relief. Um, and for motorcyclists, the other thing they do, so so if you're in a large company and you're interested in this sort of thing, um, it'd definitely be worthwhile checking them out. But uh, for motorcyclists, they also have an area on their main campus where you can go to camp, try out gear, explore the, the, uh, the dirt riding that's accessible from their location. All close to London, which that, that's kind of a feed isn't it, Sam?
3: Absolutely. I tell you what, I, I'm sitting listening to this, and I'm thinking, God, you know, I went through the whole year last year without going to see this guy, these guys set up. Yeah. Um, I will make that happen this year.
0: You've got like um, a little. Every time A-frame.
3: you mention it, I think, God, this sounds really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got like a little A-frame there that—that's one of the things you can rent, or you can camp there. And they've also got a large facility that you can rent as well, I guess. But um, anyway, the, the the web address for that is is freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. So that adventure space is the is the what what it's called for motorcyclists. So if you're if you're looking there, you can send them an email, of course. Uh, The other one I want to give a shout-out to is Smart Adventures. And um, anyone who listens to Adventure Rider Radio will know Clinton Smout from our Rider Skills segments. Clinton is the owner of Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. And Smart Adventures has an incredible facility at the Horseshoe Resort, where they teach um, motorcycle riding, dirt riding ATV snowmobiles that they're certified to do all of this. Um, Clinton's been doing this many, many years and you can, you can listen to him on adventure rider radio and, and here he's, he's fun. He's witty. He's extremely experienced. He's a, he's a very well-respected trainer. That's SmartAdventures.ca, And uh, of course, if, you, if you're talking to any of the companies we mentioned, anybody we mentioned on the show, it's great if you throw in there that you've, uh, you heard them here on adventure rider radio. Um, why don't we tackle? Uh, why don't we tackle our plugs? Our plugs are going to be under forty-five seconds. Remember, um, wh- who's got a plug, Graham?
2: Uh, yeah, it is going to be a quick forty-five-second plug. I've started doing this new YouTube uh, uh, video on my channel. Uh, it's a little inspired piece, but well, I hope it's inspired. And I call it "Book Review with a Buzz." And on a Friday afternoon, I sit in the shed uh, in front of a video camera and I talk about the book I've just read. And it might not be the most accurate representation of the book, but it's uh, hopefully quite humorous. And it seems to be working quite well. Uh people are, are buying books off the back of it. The the point I'm gonna do, they're not I'm not gonna do like, you know, Elton John's autobiography. I'm doing the ones that might need a little help, the ones that you might not have heard of, but a little treasures. And I think I'm in a position to do this because I meet the authors at various shows. And so it's a light-hearted entertainment little ten-minute clip called Book Review with a buzz of me talking bollocks about the book I've just read. And you can either look at Graham Field on the YouTube channel or if you go to my website there's a YouTube tab and it will go straight to it there.
0: Book review with a buzz. What's the buzz?
2: Well, it depends what I'm doing at the time.
0: <laughs> and How much <laughs> has he had so far? Uh, that's good. <laughs> Sam, what have you got?
3: Um, I've got something that I can't do in 45 seconds and I hope you're going to bear with me because this is such a good cause. Um, I want to introduce Rick Harrison and the Evil Knievel Riders and their next venture on the Isle of Man. Now, sadly, most of us are going to be touched by cancer at some point in our lives, be it personally or through the suffering of fam- family or friends. And the work that Macmillan do to support both of those su- um, those suffering and the families is incredibly humbling. Um, Now, for the last nine years, a group of motorcyclists have been completing a variety of marathon rides, but they do it dressed as evil Knievel, and they do it in support of Macmillan Cancer Care and several other charities. Uh, Last year, for example, they completed a circuit of Wales using only coastal roads, and that was over a a 1,000 miles, um, and they raised almost £40,000 for Macmillan, and they set a world record for the number of Knievels gathered in one place. (laughs) In April 2020, the Knievels will be on the Isle of Man, um, complete with all of their capes, and they'll be riding a 48-hour non-stop marathon of the world-famous TT circuit. Um, When they're not actually doing their associated laps, the riders are going to be visiting um, historic locations on the island, spreading goodwill and awareness of Macmillan and raising money and so on. Now, Rick, who got in touch with me, is going to be taking part. Um, They're all paying the expenses out of their own pockets. So, every penny raised is going to benefit um, the charities. can I ask listeners to seriously consider helping with this? Um, there's a, a just giving link, which um, I've given to Jim and Elizabeth, and you can just bung in 20 quid or $20 or whatever else you think it is. If you've ever had any connection with cancer, then you will know how important raising money to help this situation um, is. When you use the Just Giving page, um, mention um, Rick Harrison in the text box um, as your sponsored rider because he's the one that's made the effort to get in touch and and ask me to share the news. Um, so, and if you can share that link on your social media with your friends and family and anyone else that you can think of, because. Um, this is the best side of humanity, isn't it? Where everybody is getting stuck in and helping everybody else. And I, and I love it. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing it. So thanks for getting in touch, Rick. Um, and good luck to you all, because I think this is fabulous. Nice one.
0: Okay, those links will be in the show notes for this episode. Yep. Um, Grant, what do you have?
1: Not a heck of a lot. Well, I shouldn't say that. I could say we've got a ton of stuff going on. I was just about to say, okay, so we're moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, yes. (laughs) Five seconds is done. Um, Nothing special, nothing too exciting other than we've got a really good lineup of events this year. So wherever you are in the world, there's something happening. And we have a few people that have just written me recently wanting to have new events in new locations. So we'll see what happens there. But right now, check out horizonsunlimited.com events and you can meet other travelers and get inspired, get informed, meet people and have a great time and get yourself out on the road, too. There's lots of events going on. So check out horizonsunlimited.com slash events. 43 seconds.
0: So, I also have one here um, that's um, Elizabeth has given me to to ask about. We we talked a little bit about the fires in Australia. There's there's more than um, I guess a hundred fires still burning. Maybe more than that, with a hundred thousand uh, square kilometers burned an estimated one billion animals lost. I, I find that number yeah. just hard to even fathom
3: it's incredible isn't
0: it's it's unbelievable there's tons of organizations and volunteers working you know tirelessly to rescue the injured and burnt animals um dropping food to help them survive and and give them water and and i'm sure many people have seen the videos uh, that have been circulating online it's it's a really sad very dire um thing that's going on so um we're asking that you, uh, uh, this is another donation thing. We're asking you to look at the Animal Rescue Collective in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, their website is uh, therescuecollective.com. That link will be in the show notes. And you can just click on the Donate Now, now button. Um, or some find another organization that's um, helping the animals that have been affected by the bushfires. Because this is, uh, this is unprecedented. This is just unbelievable what is going on there. And they certainly need our help. They need your help. So... If you can, that's great. So, um, so um, I guess another thing with, with 2020 kicking off is that there's there's tons of talk about new bikes. I mean, there's been all kinds of things. I mean, there always seems to be. The, the adventure bike segment is exploding. I mean, I think it's just unbelievable how many offerings there are and variations. I mean, you, you see all the manufacturers. I just saw Ducati, um, I guess they've, they've downsized their, their engine or something for their adventure bike. Um, but the variations you get, like like the BMWs, for instance, with the GS version and then the Adventure version, it's a, it's another one um, you pay a little bit extra for. The Africa Twin, for instance, the Honda, um, now they have the Africa Twin Adventure Sports ES, which is, you know, your, your pumped up model. You know, if you think about it, back in the day, you bought a bike, and, and Grant, I know you've sort of talked about this before, they sold the bike, you bought it and you modified it for what you wanted to do with it. If you're going to race it, you make it into a race bike. If you're going to ride it in dirt. You make it into a dirt bike and throw some tires on it, et cetera. What do you guys think? If you were to go out and buy a new bike nowadays, if you're going to buy something brand new, would you pay the extra? I mean, is it worth paying the extra for the adventure version? Um, or would you go with the lower end version, the cheaper one and, and modify it to suit your needs? How, how would you guys approach that?
1: I think, as always, it depends on exactly what it is you're going to do. You have to decide, are you really an adventure rider in that you're going to do uh, the nasty, dirty roads and find the, the gnarliest route you can possibly find? Or are you going to be a little more sensible, a little more relaxed and just take whatever comes you know, your average, like I ride a 1200 GS adventure and the only reason I've got an adventure is because that was what was put in front of me. Otherwise, I would have had the regular one. I like the big tank, but otherwise the taller suspension, um, the extra weight from the extra crash bars and all the rest of this stuff. Eh, you know, there's a big trade-off here. You have to decide what it is you need and make sure that you get the right one that's going to do the job for you. It's, it's really easy to get excited about all the the farkles and the gadgets and the bits and pieces and oh it's got this oh it's got that and wow that's really cool yeah but do you need it as opposed to it's nice don't forget every nice thing you put on there is something else to break
0: well and is that is that a venture model really what you need i mean that would be my question as exactly. well is that because what modifications they made like you said you like the bigger tank but do you need it i mean i think sam nope. you said before you, you wouldn't get a bigger tank now
3: no, I wouldn't. Um, it was, with hindsight, I'd spent quite a lot of money on buying um, the fuel tank that I've, I've got on Libby. And um, it's been great. It's been nice, neat, compact unit. But when I much, you know, years later, th- sat down and thought how much I'd spent on it. And I, th- I realized how many miles I could have ridden for <laughs> all a of the travel. Oh, it's more than that. Oh, way more. Mm-hmm. I probably could have traveled up and down Africa twice. Um, with the amount of money in, in fuel really, um, that I spent on this gas tank. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, would I do that now? Well, actually, no, I wouldn't. Um, I'd build a couple of racks and hang them on either side of the, the standard um, fuel tank and I'd put a couple of jerry cans on when I needed them to be there um, because that would cost me buttons to do and also it would be an adventure making um, the modifications. It would be another learning curve.
1: Um, Yeah, it's really easy also to have the big tank and then fill it up. And wow, is it really heavy when that tank is full? It's just amazing. (laughs) And and, and how often do you stop anyway? I mean, I've had a big tank for the last 30 years, and there's no way I can possibly ride nonstop from full to empty. That's just not going to happen. So you're stopping every 100 miles or whatever anyway, so you might as well just stop at a gas station. It really doesn't make much difference.
3: I like to have 300 miles range
1: because
3: that allows me to take advantage of opportunities. Um, But, you know, with the way that I had Libby set up when heading off down through Africa, I had a 500-mile range. It wasn't necessary. Only once did I need that, just once. And if I hadn't had that, I would have found an alternative way of dealing with the situation.
1: Yeah, I had a 40-liter tank, and we used it exactly once. We discovered going through um, Honduras, I think it was Honduras, all of a sudden we had to get through the country quickly and no, we couldn't get gas because we had to get in line to get the pass, to get the, the ga- Get in line for the gas. So it was going to be another week and blah, blah, blah. And So we barely squeaked through to Costa Rica on a tank hmm. one time. Right. I'm sure I could apply gas somewhere along the way.
0: But it's not just about bigger tanks either, because a lot of the difference, a lot of times the difference between the standard version and the adventure version will be things like uh, spoke wheels, for instance
3: and beefed up suspension and right, those yeah. sorts of things uh, it, they also come down to to, to the little things but still important like a bigger side stand foot and those sorts of things the 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 panniers yeah. and the racks often come as standard with the um specifically built adv bikes and and so on uh, for, I, I wonder whether it comes down to an experience and a knowledge thing combined with time as in If you've got some experience of riding a motorcycle and camping and traveling a long distance, then you don't need the ADV bike necessarily. But having said that, should the argument be, will the manufacturers know what... you're likely to need on a a longer more hard hardcore type of journey and they've done their research about what fits their particular motorcycle so what racks work the best what bash plates work the best etc etc so actually why would you be going against what the manufacturer has done they've done the research they've put the time in for you so you can just say yeah i'll have that one and off you go without any of the time and thought and, and research conversely you may actually enjoy doing that sort of thing
1: yeah, and I'll mm-hmm. throw in another corollary to that too. Uh, sometimes the saddlebags, for instance, panniers, are what contract can they work with somebody who will make them for them? Mm-hmm. I happen to know of somebody who makes the racks for three comp- for three uh, various motorcycle adventure racks, companies. So it's what's available to them at a cost that they're willing to pay, but they can pass on to you at a price that you're willing to pay. Mm-hmm. It's it's not quite as simple and cut and dried as it sounds. They made the best bike they possibly could. No, they did not. I happened to have talked to somebody who knows and asked, why are the seats on this unnamed brand of motorcycle so bad? And he said, because we have to keep the aftermarket strong. You mean the aftermarket making seats and changing things and customizing? Yes, exactly. Because we cannot make a seat – that is going to make everybody happy. So what we make is a seat that looks good and is wonderful to sit on for five minutes in the showroom. After that, it's up <laughs> to you. That's the thing
0: it. is there's economies of scale here. Like like so, in other words, if you if you buy you know one off something, it's very expensive. If you manufacture tons of them, that brings the price way down. So if you're thinking about buying spoked wheels, for instance, that could be quite expensive. Whereas the, the difference in price up to the adventure version may not be as dear. You know, you might not have to put out as much. But it makes you wonder having, you know, what you just said there. It makes you wonder if that's the best bet. Because quite often people will buy an adventure version. Then they go out and buy an aftermarket shock for the back. You know, and yeah, if you I'd had to
1: buy the aftermarket shock, then worry about the wheels. You say you
0: would rather do that?
1: I would buy the shock every time. Mm-hmm. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Because it's the, the same thing, isn't it? Failure. Even though there's economies of scale there, they have had to manufacture it within a certain price range, whether it's the adventure version or not.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll give you a little story that kind of is always stuck in my mind. This goes way back, 1975, the Suzuki Rotary came out. And I was a Suzuki dealer at the time. I was a Suzuki certified rotary mechanic and the whole thing. And after a first year, a guy from the factory came out And we were talking about various things and what we didn't like and what we liked and stuff like that. And just out of the blue, for some reason, I had sliced my hand the day before, grabbing the fender to pick up the front end of the bike to pull the wheel out. And I'd sliced my finger on the sharp edge of the metal fender. So I said to him, hey, look at this. Why don't you just roll the metal edge underneath a little bit further? And being very inscrutable Japanese, he looked at me and he said, hmm, two yen and walked away. (laughs) <laughs> you know how much two yen is? Yeah, it's nothing like for nothing. one
0: bike, but for you know ten thousand or a hundred thousand.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we always have to keep that two yen in mind. They don't spend a penny; they don't have to. Everything I'm really tempted to money. get
3: some. I'm really tempted to get some two yen stickers made up now because <laughs> know, that'd just be really funny. Whenever you see anybody yeah. with a two yen sticker on your, on their right. bike, you know yeah. what they're
1: doing. <laughs> exactly. So. You know, you have to decide, is the bike going to work for me? Like, if I was buying a new 1200 GS tomorrow, I would look really seriously at the standard model. And one of the reasons is it's an inch and a half or two inches or something shorter than the Adventure model. Wait a minute. I'm not that tall. My legs aren't that long that the extra height is that good a thing. And I know Susan can't get on a 1200 GS Adventure when the suspension's fully extended for a big load. She can't get on it. It's too mm-hmm. tall. So what works for you and your trip and your style of riding and your height and your age and everything else you can think of may not be the same as works for the guy next door to you. You What works for you? Start thinking about yourself and the best setup.
0: You know, the the dealer, though, is going to try and 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 sell you that longer suspension bike for adventure travel. Um, But the thing is, does the standard bike ground or uh, bottom out all the time is the suspension always bottoming out I mean some of these questions you have to ask yourself
2: and nope. the dealer's got a career the dealer goes back home to his to his house every day and and you're about to hit the road so it's it's very much about budget as well of course they're going to try and sell you all this stuff the, the aftermarket manufacturers and the catalogs are full of it but but, you know, it's, it's, it's about your def- adventure. Define what your adventure is, what you're actually going to be doing. And I don't really think there's many people who even need a new bike. It's It just seems superfluous. Is it's, it's contradictory to the very
1: thing that you're
2: going to do, in my opinion.
1: Yep. <laughs> and I, I will agree with you. I wasn't going to go there, but I will agree with you 100%. One of the things to keep in mind is if you've got a low mileage, good quality used bike, at a really good price in comparison to a new one is if it, we were talking about dangers and problems in other countries and all that kind of stuff, political unrest, you know, if it all goes really, really pear shaped, walk away from the bike and get on an airplane and get out. You've got a exactly. brand new 1200 GS with all the farkles on it. That's really hard to get it to walk away from. But if you've got a bike that's a third or a half of that price, not nearly so hard, and I know a guy who went around mean, the world on five hundred dollar motorcycles. That's yeah, all he would spend. Yeah, that was the whole
2: ethos of taking a, a seven hundred and fifty pound KLR to Mongolia because I didn't know what to expect, and I could walk away from it at any point if everything went it went desperately bad. The irony is that after so many trips, I would now do anything to keep that bike because it now has a huge sentimental value. <laughs> but the the point was. I could walk away from it. it. It was a very small percentage. Well, my, my trip was £5,000. That first trip, the bike, fully kitted, all the, the panniers, everything in the panniers, stood me at £2,000. That's annoying if you lose it, but it's not the end
1: of the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
3: I'm think? sitting here listening to this because I'm thinking, gosh, you know, when I first started, I had no experience at all. You know, I passed my motorcycle test in six weeks and six weeks after that, I'm I'm at the edge of the Sahara. And I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the friends to ask. It's, of course, very different now because we've got all the Facebook groups and forums and so on and so on. Um, but there was nobody really that I could ask or I certainly hadn't come across anybody. So for me, it was important to buy a bike that was kitted out as best as possible. But even then, I still had to buy um, additional, um, you know, change the suspension. And this was all common sense stuff. I had to buy luggage. I had to buy Well, it felt like I had to buy a a bigger fuel tank and so on and so on. And some of those things worked out phenomenally well and some of them didn't, um, such as the fuel tank. Yeah, it was great, but I could have spent the money better. Um, But walking away from it, even though I'd spent so much money, I think I still have enough common sense to be able to say, actually, um, being here is not a good thing. I'm off. Um, it's more important um, than have the bikes that I want to be on that is kitted out the way I want it to be to do the journey that I want to be doing
2: and also Sam that that was then and this is now if you uh, can't decide whether you're going to spend $600 on an adventure shock then don't and you can stop after a few months at a nice little place and get it DHL down to you okay exactly. so I did need it, my mistake but better than yep buying it and finding you don't need it, there's nothing better, as we all know, than stopping for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I came at it from the opposite end of Sam, probably about as far opposite as you could get it. I'd be a motorcycle dealer and a mechanic and a racer, road racer, motocrossing, the whole thing. And, I, you know, I, I knew a lot about how to set up a bike, and I built road racers from scratch. Um, so my bike, when we set off, was prepared to the nth degree, And it gave us virtually zero problems on the entire trip. We didn't break anything. The suspension was fine. The the panniers were fine. The rear subframe didn't break like all our our ADGSs do. Mars didn't because it had been replaced completely. Um, And that was great. I had zero worries about the bike as opposed to it's constantly breaking. But you have to decide... Are you riding a 30-year-old motorcycle? Remember, that was a 1986 R80GS. Compared to today, that bike was extraordinarily unreliable. Modern bikes are much more reliable. They're much better set up. Anything with any semblance of uh, a hope of being called an adventure bike or an adventure model of some kind is going to be way better prepared, way better set up from the factory than what I started out with. So, you, you worry about it a lot less. You'd be a lot less fussy. Uh, if I was going to do it again tomorrow, I'd buy something off the showroom floor and, you know, a few little tweaks, probably spend a few days on it, and that would be it. Just go. Yep. Things can be fixed, and as Graham just said, anything can be DHL'd or FedExed in anywhere, anywhere, from anywhere. Yep. So it's a lot less stress that when it breaks, you're screwed which we would have been in the middle of Africa, um, in in the 90s or in the 80s in uh, Central America. I had no idea, and still don't know how we would have gotten something in. It would have taken forever. It would have been extremely difficult. But today, no big deal. So worry about it a lot less, and just go and don't spend too much money up front. Remember, um, uh, what's his name? Never mind, skip
2: it. It's <laughs> incredible how much wiser you've become. Remember what was his name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much
0: wiser you've become over the years? You know, now now if you're looking back, you probably would have told yourself back then, "Don't be stupid. This is crazy."
1: Oh yeah, I spent way <laughs> too much money on that bike. It was ridiculous. I mean, the amount of money that I spent on it, we could have traveled for another year. That's crazy. But no, that no. was my background because I came from race. And you have to finish. Therefore, it has to be perfect.
3: I laugh because my, oh. my ignorance was absolutely incredible. And perhaps actually that worked in my favor. I knew yep. so little I didn't know what I was supposed to be worrying about.
1: Well, it's like well, um, that is true, yeah. like Ted Simon, same thing. He didn't know that when you're riding in the desert in first gear and raising revving up hard to get, get, to get going, that your gas mileage is going to go down.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that bit. Yeah, oh. and <laughs> you do yeah. the calculations. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> what would Are you guys talk about accessories? I? Oh, go, go ahead. What would I not? What? No, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I would not. I would not interrupt Jim. That's what I would not do. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: it. it Make me feel small because I've just done that twice. Good.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, well, I was just going to say, of all the things I bought when I was kitting out the KLR for the first trip, I think the thing I probably Spent. Uh, I, or I, the thing I how, is this a double negative? I didn't need the most. Can we just cut this? The thing I bought and wished I hadn't was uh, I bought a centre stand for the KLR because I thought if I get a puncture, I'm going to have to get a wheel off the ground. And firstly, you just find a stick or something to prop it up and lean it against the side, uh, the, uh, the and, and lean it against side stand the opposite way. And the other thing is they were so heavy those centre stands. Plus, being an aftermarket centre stand, it's not a matter of just putting your foot on it and, and pushing the bike back. It wasn't a pushback kind of centre stand. You had to lift vertical the bike, for, and then sort of push the side stand down underneath the, the centre stand down mm. underneath it. And when you've got panniers on, forget it. Even when I took took that bike to show as as a display bike and the panniers were empty, it, I still needed to find someone. Oh, can you help me get it on the center stand, please? And then when it was there, it was totally unsteady because it just wanted to rock forward and come off it. So it was an automatic part that wasn't needed, was extra weight, and I really didn't did really didn't need that. So so that was that was a stupid purchase. anybody want to buy a center stand for a KMR? <laughs> They're very useful.
1: <laughs> You sell your center stand. I've got a 32-liter Heinrich tank for sale. Anybody knows what that is? <laughs> cool, that's
3: worth quite a lot of money now, Grant. A-
1: yes, and I actually do have this 32-liter Heinrich tank, which I would love to sell. So, anybody wants one, R80 BMWs, R100 BMWs, etc. give me a call.
0: Nice. What would you guys not accept on a new bike if you're buying a new bike now? Would it be cast wheels? Um, I, I don't know. Oh, oh the electronics worry me buttons
2: for for different modes and that that's great when it works but that's what worries a bit not just a new bike in a new vehicle they now you now need fault diagnostic systems to find out what's wrong with it that worries me so much but that if you're everything. out in the middle of nowhere that's everybody yeah, i know they
0: don't make the klr so, anymore
2: no i just buy a pre-2000 vehicle <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's kind of what you have to do. Because of the emissions regulations, we're stuck with all this electronic stuff. I mean, basically, they have to put the electronics in in order to get the fuel mileage and the emissions to a point where they can be actually legally sold. And it's it's nothing to add in the farkles that they can sell and advertise as being really cool. So we're kind of stuck with it. I don't think we're going to get away from it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, too much worry is put into the the electronics because they're so reliable, but then I've heard a lot of stories and I've had them myself where things go wrong with the, uh, Mm -hmm. with the electronics, maybe not completely wrong in a lot of cases, but cause all kinds of problems.
1: Yeah. The the Uh, electronics are generally very, very reliable and the numbers of problems there are are very, very low, but yes, they happen. Um,
0: well, and the Things thing like is, the it, when it dies, 11, it's it. dead. It, it, it leaves you, doesn't it? Yes.
1: On the other hand, if your points failed or your condenser failed, they left you dead,
0: too. Yeah, but points don't fail. I mean, and now we're really going back. Points and points, oh, okay, no, 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 all right, okay, okay. i, I got to back well, up on that. And but you, normally, can, you,
2: you can keep new points and condenser in a matchbox. Very That's good not point. really
0: going to take up a lot of room. Or you can get those points working. They've got to be completely gone before you can't get them working again. So, I mean, there, there was there was ways to Mickey Mouse things, maybe even get points from something else and, and try and adapt okay. it, you know, whatever you have to do. There was ways, but it's no longer, you know, open up the can, look inside and see if you can fix it.
1: No. Well, what it is now is you have tools like the Hex GS 911, which you plug into your BMW and it tells you what's what's failed. It tells you exactly what the fault code is well, and it's something you carry in the size of your hand and you can take it with you. I've got one. I plugged it into my bike and several other bikes. And I get a really good accurate diagnostic. Oh, but, but that's, that's not going
0: th- that's not going solve it. I mean, I, I mean uh, telling you the code doesn't solve your problem with a with a bike all the time. It may, but it doesn't solve yeah. your problem necessarily. It can tell you there's an yeah. error yeah. in that in that circuit, but um, that can send you running.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell the story of this guy who rode from Germany down through West Africa. He got as far as uh, what's the country? but just before Namibia, I can't remember the name of it. Somebody help me out here. Angola? Angola, Zambia, Botswana? Angola. He got to Angola, and the bike died. And he didn't know what to do. He, you know, checked the usual things, and it was dead. So he shipped the bike home to Germany, had it fixed, sent it back, and it turned out it was one small module. If he had known what module it was, if he had the HEX GS 911 and known what module it was, he could have had, had it sent down for peanuts. Hmm. So, or he shipped the bike home. Yeah. I mean, I think he was crazy. He should have shipped it to South Africa at the very least. Yeah, quite. But he shipped it home to Germany. I mean, some people have more money than brains. Ooh. But uh, <laughs> that's maybe there hurt. was something else going <laughs> yes, on. That's maybe he must burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, you got to think he could have bought every single electronic component on the bike and had it shipped in for less than shipping his bike home and back.
0: Yeah, Seriously, I mean, surprising. think
1: about it. You could have. Oh, yeah, he had it shipped back again. He then carried he on his shipped trip. Back. Yeah, he <laughs> nice. carried on the trip.
3: <laughs> could, I say, what, 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 a, what a courageous sort of chap he is. Dash determined, what? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Could he not have? Could he not have flown a German mechanic out? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been cheaper? It would have been cheaper. Yes. It would have. But the German mechanic would have had to bring a whole bunch of pieces with him. But uh,
0: no. He'd have to bring the GS nine eleven. Yes. He would.
1: Well, <laughs> which are made in South Africa.
0: Ah, there you go. <laughs> hey, we got an interesting uh, email from a listener named Kevin about wild camping. And I, I like this. It's yeah, he's he's looking at it because it's the one area that he describes as that he's, I well, quote, I'm not comfortable with is wild camping, that one area unquote. And, and he wants to stretch his budget. He wants to camp to stretch his budget on a, on a big trip. And, um, that's over the next couple of years, I guess. But, um, He's, he's sort of having trouble figuring out how one goes about finding a camping spot. He says he lives in the, the northeast of the U.S. in an urban area, no public lands. Um, and, and that sort of adds to his discomfort about finding wild camping, sort of getting used to it. Um, I think if you haven't grown up with it or you haven't done a lot of it, obviously it can be unnerving. In particular, I guess, if you're by yourself. He, he writes that he's going from uh, Boston to the Virginia Horizons Unlimited event this spring. Um, when is that grant? Do you know?
1: Um, that's April 23 to 26. Oh, ah, there you go.
0: He's going to do some wild camping through Pennsylvania, West Virginia and Virginia, sort of a shakedown trip for the, for the bigger places. Um, you know, so that he can, uh, he can stretch that budget and he's, he's sort of looking for tips. So I'm thinking maybe we can give some tips for him and maybe some general tips on getting into wild camping. Certainly it's going to matter where you're camping.
2: I think uh, the US is probably one of the hardest places for wild camping in my experience because despite all the open spaces there always seems to be a little fence and quite often a posted no trespassing sign and in a a, a country which is uh, with a sort of a with the with guns with guns everywhere what's they I've, I've thought about it uh, the shoot right to shoot laws I am very, very wary about wild camping in the US, particularly, I think, going down the East Coast like that, or the US in general. It's hard to find those open spaces. Uh, So it's a tough one. What you've got going for you, though, Kevin, is that you're on your own. And it is far easier, I think, to wild camp if it's just you. If you perhaps, uh, and, and, and I've heard Grant say this before, it's the turn off the road, then turn off that road, and then on your third road, then you can find something quite out the way. Uh, my, one of my things is I might find a place that looks kind of good, go back into the nearest town, get my dinner, and then go back to that place. Now it's dusk, turn out my lights, camp quietly, up at first light, gone in the morning. And on your own, you're not making noise, you're not talking, you're not shining your flashlight around. And it is possible. And of course, the alternative to that is if it looks okay, but there's a house over there, well go knock on their door if it looks like it's the sort of door you can knock on or if it's you know again it's the difficult one in the US but the chances are if you're camping in what is really somebody's backyard they probably know you're there even if you think they don't (laughs) so it wouldn't hurt to ask them and then you're going to get a fabulous night's sleep because they know you're there you know that they know you're there and no one's going to come knocking at 3 a.m.
0: Yeah. Yep. You're, you're talking about stealth camping as opposed to wild camping or, or like kind of mixing the two but i mean there's sort of a distinction there isn't there that between stealth camping and wild camping wild camping i'm assuming like i picture it as more of places that you're allowed to camp Whereas stealth camping is more you're camping in a spot you have no idea if you're allowed to or maybe even kind of suspect you're not allowed to oh okay i didn't realize there was well, a difference
3: yeah i lump well, i lump <laughs> it all in together I it well, all that's all
1: in together. your mind <laughs> you guys don't see that <laughs>
3: Just all in together it's
1: all in yeah. together yeah. oh, Camp, camping without paying yeah either you're in a campground or you're not
3: there is um a website um for anybody in the united states who's concerned about legality of stealth camping um and um i'll give that link to um elizabeth for the show notes but i, I had no idea this thing existed but it's quite entertaining seeing um which which states allow you to do what and where
0: Mm, as, as far as uh, stealth camping, you're, you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I like what Graham said because that, that's exactly how I would do it as well. And, and that's why I said stealth camping because if you get into a situation where, like I've had to camp before and I'm sure everybody has, you know, at a roadside pullout. And I can remember setting up my tent, pulling my bike in as, as it was getting dark and setting up my tent in the little pavilion that was set up there with a sign to give people uh, directions on the on a walk there. I know I'm not supposed to stay there, but I was in it dark and it's closed at night and I was out before dawn. So I felt I wasn't harming anything by doing it. That's what I mean by stealth camping, that that sort of thing.
3: Okay. I think what Graham said about um, asking is, is absolutely right. Um, yep. If you see an area that you like the look of and you see a, a farm that doesn't make your senses tingle, um, then yeah go up and ask for permission to use a corner um, mm-hmm. the stress uh, when you're talking to the people stress that you're going to leave nothing behind you that you won't use a fire and those sorts of things and just about everybody that in the states that I've asked that for um, has said yes there were two people that have said no um, one person um, outright said no I don't like English um, so, that's fair <laughs> comments. I'll, I'll, I'll leave then because I've got a bit of an accent um, <laughs> But um, a couple of people I've ended up having some great conversations with. I suddenly came to realize that I was in a bit of adventure in somebody's everyday life and the questions they were asking and the stuff they were telling me about them. Um, it was just really nice. Treat people with respect and you usually get it back. But um, And something else to do in, in the United States is ask at fire stations, churches, police stations, the tourist information office and, and those sorts of things. I also look for electricity pylons. And the beauty of that is that you can see them from a, a long distance away. Quite often, um, electricity pylons have a, a wide swathe of land that's been cut back for maintenance purposes. So you can find somewhere um, to camp and they're not, they are not—they don't tend to be fenced off. I don't do it all of the time. Um, There's just something that doesn't feel particularly comfortable to me camping underneath electricity pylons. I'm sure it's not very We're talking healthy. talking transmission but- lines. Is that what they're called in, in North America? Yeah, I
0: think okay. most people refer to them as something like that, transmission lines. Pylons is more the thing you find on the side of the road to mark a pothole or something.
3: I'm glad you <laughs> said that, Jim, because we would have confused people totally. <laughs>
0: camping under a road
2: cone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. oh, Look, there's one of those cones Sam mentioned. <laughs> I need to go on a diet there.
3: <laughs> um, I mean, part of the joy of wild camping is waking up in the variety of places that you end up staying. And some can be grotty. Um, some can put your tyres at risk. In the States, I've stayed behind abandoned gas stations in areas that feel okay. I've also stayed behind redundant and derelict offices and warehouses. My attitude with that is if nobody sees me go in because I'm slipping in at at dusk um, um, and I'm camping out of sight, so long as I'm not actually trespassing and I'm out of sight, then I think I'm okay. Of course, conversely, it's a case of wild camping where you have permission to do so. And this is one of the things that... um, tourist information offices are absolutely fabulous for um, they will tell you whether it's okay for you to go and um, camp in the park in the town and it's surprised me in the states how many um, towns and yeah sure okay go for it um, so off I've gone and put my tent up in the in the park and nobody's given me any trouble at all but I've been in full view um, I may have had one or two curious looks from people as they walk past but nobody said or, or done anything um,
2: so in fact back- Yeah, it's a good point. I'm going back to the industrial areas. I mean, as a truck driver, where I want to find somewhere to park up my truck at night, if you go into an industrial area, there's usually a unit there which is unoccupied, which is a for sale sign out uh, there. As a motorcyclist, you can generally get through the gate and park behind a warehouse. It's not very glamorous, but You're out of sight and safe, and that's actually not a bad place to be. And generally, in the morning, you're going to find a burger van somewhere that's uh, there to send it for all the people (laughs) who are working. So you've got some breakfast sorted as well.
0: The coffee truck,
2: yeah.
3: (laughs) Graham said earlier on that um, while camping in the States isn't particularly easy. Well, I think in the West, um, it's really straightforward to do. Um, Birgit and I never had a problem finding somewhere to wild camp on the western side of the United States. Centre wasn't too bad. Um, Although large swathes of the centre, it was difficult to find anywhere that we could actually be out of sight. And the east is harder. So I can understand um, why Kevin's asking this. And hi, Kevin. It's great to hear from you, by the way. Um, One thing that you might like to look out for, Kevin, is um, the Mid-Atlantic Backroads Discovery Route. Most people have heard of the BDR, but this one goes through Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. So a chunk of your route um, will be along that. And I have heard from friends that there are quite a few places along that route that you can tuck yourself out of sight. And if you're concerned about riding off-road, I don't know how good you are. If you're not that good, there are long sections of this where um, you don't have to be a master off-roader, um, and the BDRs tend to tell you where the, the really gnarly sections are and give you a route round it. So that might be um, something that you could actually have some fun doing. I really would like to do some of these back road discovery routes in the states. They sound absolutely fantastic. Um, Kevin, if you if you if you seriously start thinking about doing that, I think there's um, a film out about the route so that you can get a taste of the sorts of um, terrain that you're likely to see. But, I mean, the other thing is there are loads of apps out now um, but, uh, that work particularly well in the United States, of course. Almost everybody's heard of iOverlander, which is run by Travellers for Travellers. Um, one thing that um, I've been using quite a lot is All Stays Camp and RV, which is an app on my phone, but you do have to set the app to free. Um, free campsites only because otherwise it would just give you this huge raft of places um, that you can stay and you have to spend a lot of time hunting through for the free places. There was another one that I came across and I haven't tried this yet but I will do on the next trip over and it's called Campendium and that I gather you have to do the same thing um set it to free only. There's um, one that called, um Fresh Off The Grid um, and that's how to find free camping in the United States and Canada. So um, that's another one that I've only just discovered. So I'll be doing some more investigation on that. If you find yourself near any national parks or state parks or national forests, those sorts of things, um, if it's not particularly busy at the entrance gate, go and stand and have a word with the ranger who's on duty at the entrance gate these guys know their areas like the back of their hand, and they'll know somewhere almost certainly within a few miles where you can tuck yourself away for the night. So even if you don't want to go and pay to stay in a state or, or you know national park, um, these guys are a font of information of great places to go and stay, so go and talk to them. Something that people may be interested in, and I hadn't come across this before, is Avenza PDF maps, and they're free. And you can get the U.S. Um, forestry Services maps through this app. Um, and they show the forestry roads and dispersed camping areas and all that sort of thing. I'll also give Elizabeth um, that link for the show notes.
0: And in that app, you can you can download other maps too, can't you? The, I think they have other maps that you can pay for if you want, more detailed ones. Yes, that's correct.
1: And I'm using Gaia GPS, which works really well too. Gaia GPS. In fact, I'm dithering back and forth between Gaia GPS and Avenzae. I lean towards Gaia GPS at the moment. They're Gaia
3: gives great maps, don't they? Um, oh, from yeah, my,
1: exactly.
3: I, I sort of had a, a bit of a look at those last week, and I was thinking, hmm, actually, I mean, they're set up for 4x4, isn't it? But actually, who cares? Um, yeah, have well, motorcycles.
1: They, do, they, do, they have bicycles as well as 4x4s and yeah. motorcycles, and um, <laughs> even skiing and snowmobiling. So wow. They've got the uh, ski trails showing. You can see sometimes the the snowmobile trails i was up in the mountains in princeton setting up for the uh, the hum coming up next year or this year now it's already this year and uh looking at a trail on the map and i go oh that looks good but that doesn't look like it's rideable oh wait a minute that's a snowmobile trail right <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> graham are you using um, a smartphone and and using many apps for this sort of thing
2: no I'm not in fact I was just listening to you talk about Gaia GPS I've never heard of it I'm just, I was just thinking to myself it's almost like you read my mind and thought oh, I should probably start looking into this stuff it might make my life easier
0: well that's the thing isn't it I mean it's sort of geeky but it, it works
2: it's drawing the line isn't it you know I've thought, I was, was ranting recently about people who are so addicted to their GPS the second they pull up Anywhere they start stabbing at their GPS, they don't even see what's around them, they're so reliant upon it and they miss so much because they don't get to ask directions, they don't get interaction, they don't talk to people. So, this is sort of one side of it. All I use is Google Maps, quite often without data, just so I can find the route make sure i'm on the right route or the route out of town but i suppose that i could probably um, move a little bit more forward in the technology (laughs) technology stakes i just don't want to be a slave to my electronics i'm kind of old school and i like to have my eyes open see what's around make my choices ask locals but i do agree there's a lot to be found which you don't know about if you um, bother to see what other people have researched and turned into apps and what have you i just don't want to be a slave to the to me apps that's all
0: i think that makes sense there's a lot of information though if you're looking for uh, I think off-road stuff like if you're looking for trails and, and, and things in, the, in the, you know, the back country I guess depending where you are obviously but that's where I find that the top home maps interesting to look at. Uh, I love going through top home maps. Yeah,
3: a a of another one. <laughs> Graham, I love what you just said um, and I tend to use um, some of the, well, the um, All Camp and RV for example um, I use that if I don't have a choice so, in other words, I'll bumble along in my usual style and I'll get towards the end of the day and I'll, I will start looking. At end of the day, what I mean is I'm starting to look from around 2.30 onwards. Um, and if I'm not finding somewhere then I'll get the phone out and um, see whether there's somewhere that um, I can be guided to. But normally I'm finding places. I'm stumbling across places just by keeping my eyes open and by talking to people, just as you said. And that is part of the fun of travelling, keeping eyes well, out of your electronics and talking to people.
2: Yeah, the interaction. I'm two people last summer, uh, well, a German I met in Albania who was travelling on his own, but every morning he decided where he was going to stop that evening and book somewhere. Well, great, but surely that's the wrong way. Surely, like you say, you wait till after lunch and then make a decision because you've just given yourself a deadline. And if you see something lovely on the way where you want to stop, you, it's no longer an option. If you've got to the place early and want to keep riding, again, it's no longer an option. I would have thought, you know, the, the, the time to, to book or look is towards the end of your riding day, not when you're having your breakfast. You know, oh, it well depends. said.
0: I, I'm- it depends, though. Hang on. It depends on what your your priorities are because I like I agree with what you're saying from my perspective. But I think some people really take that security thing. That's important to them. That knowing that they have a place to go to at the end of the day That's important. That's what makes them feel good throughout the day. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's wrong for everyone.
1: No, we talked about comfort zone before. Everybody has a different level of comfort that's required to make them happy. And it doesn't matter what your comfort zone is. I know people who've had their every night booked for the next six months. That's what it takes to make them happy. They're insane (laughs) by my my lights, (laughs) but that's okay. What matters is that a person goes.
0: Well, and, and what's important is that you get the right partner, that you don't get someone like that if you're not like that. Yeah, you got
1: to yeah. <laughs> really work on that closely.
2: You know, I remember back in 84, uh, as a family, me, my mum and dad, we all went to the States. The deal was I did the driving. My dad was partially sighted. My mom didn't have the confidence. And I was well, I was like 18 years old, 19 years old. And uh, so I was doing the driving with the hire car obviously long before internets or mobile phones. My father had this huge catalogue, we were in Florida, of all the Howard Johnsons and the Days Inns and the the different motels. And he would, in the morning, have to dial an 800 number and then try and get directed to this specific motel in the town we were going to end in the evening, have to make it understand through his English accent through bad phone connections through using overseas credit cards to try and book a room and i mean the agony he went through to try and do this for us so that every night we knew where we were going to stay <laughs> really in retrospect the whole point of a motel is you just pull up <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but he was very well organized like that and
1: uh yeah
0: so you didn't learn from your dad obviously <laughs>
1: <laughs> you learn from them, all right. Not to do that. Yeah, right.
0: What not to do. <laughs> well, that's one of the lessons, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Going
1: back to what you said, Jim, um,
3: when we're starting a, a trip for the first time, we always have the first couple of days sorted out where we want to go, and it takes a little bit of time, and then we get back into the swing of it and we relax. And But in the end, I think a lot of it also comes down to how much time have you got because the reality is mm. looking for wild camping spots – takes more time
0: yeah
3: in other words you can be at three o'clock in the afternoon and you find what looks like a great perfect um wild camping spot do you try tra- carry on for the next couple of hours on an if button maybe or do you stop your day's ride where you are because you found this great spot and normally inevitably murphy's law says if you carry on you don't find another yes, good right. spot
1: <laughs> yes but that's <laughs> always one
2: hit the hotel <laughs> Yes. It's always wonderful when you get up the next morning and the scenery starts to get blander and you realised you found the absolutely best place spot for camping right. <laughs> as opposed to going around the next corner the next morning there was a lovely little
0: lake with a little picnic table yeah. and a barbecue area I've done that <laughs> <laughs> you stay in some crappy little spot and then you come around a corner just down the road I know <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's part of the importance of looking for a spot early I mean that's something uh, that that I'm definitely into is is starting early for looking for any sort of wild spot or if you're even looking to stealth camp or whatever you don't leave it until the last minute
3: no, hunting for somewhere to stay in the dark just lands you straight in it, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. you're better off to get up early and get going early, and that, then you get your travel time in and, and then look to stop early.
1: Yeah. That's really hard for those of us who are night owls. Oh. Uh, there's always one. <laughs> there is always one. Susan's early. Susan's up at 5.30 in the morning, and I struggled before 8.
3: Well, Go ahead, Sam. Can I just um, bung in some top tips here for yeah, um, for wild camping? Definitely. Um, I mean, pay attention or not. Um, this is what I try and do. The keys for me when I climb into my tent is that I know that I'm out of sight or in full sight. The tent is put up to cope with any weather and uh, any ground surface condition. Um, I make sure that there's nothing laying around. There's nothing hanging loosely off the bike that might flap, be that strange noise noise in the night, be stealable, or be movement that might be noticed. I always make sure that I've covered anything that's reflective on the bike, so the license plates, um, indicators, reflectors, all of those sorts of things. I always make sure that my bike is locked. Um, and finally. Um, it's it's highly unlikely with all of those sorts of things that anything really is going to go wrong. Most people are great, and even if somebody does come and find you, the chance of them wanting to do anything odd to you is, is so small.
2: Yeah, as, as I said before, boots on the mirror is a good thing. That stops the mirrors from reflecting. It stops anything from crawling over in your boots. So boots yep. on the mirror is always a good one.
0: Do you, do you cover your bike, Sam? Do you Do you make a habit of that? Um.
3: It, it depends on what sort of trip I'm on. In the States, I haven't been doing that. Um, I haven't felt it's necessary. Um, but um, funnily enough, I'm actually seeing more and more people in the States who are covering their bikes um, when they're parking. So um, is that be- because it's becoming a fashion or is it because it's becoming more common sense? In developing world countries, I always cover my bike at nighttime, always. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I cover mine be just because I, I figured that out of sight, out of mind. Also, it does what you were saying about covering all your reflectors. It sort of mm-hmm. you know, hides the bike and hides the reflection of everything all in one shot. It makes it so that it's just not so easy for somebody to walk up and, and touch because, um, you know, I always say when it, when it comes to wild camping, if, you, if you're in a wilderness area in particular or out of the way area, it's not the animals that you have to worry about. It's, it's the people. Yeah, it's always
1: the animals that you hear. I a mean, yeah. number of times I've been woken up by some critter just wandering around, just checking things out. You know, you see porcupine tracks and uh, various kinds of tracks in the morning. You hear all these things and it freaks you out at first until you, oh, okay. Yeah, it's Just a small little critter wandering around checking things out, looking for something to eat. Mm-hmm. But uh, you get used to it after a while and it's okay.
3: Yeah, and that's another very good point, Grant. Don't leave any food outside your tent. Possums are thieving bastards.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole other topic. I'd rather run into a possum than a raccoon any time. Raccoons are incredibly dangerous.
3: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we were raided by raccoons. Funny enough, um, Staten Island, we were raided by um, by raccoons. Yeah, they stole my milk, my muesli. Hmm. Mm. We weren't impressed.
0: And they're relentless. They, they can seem so cute, <laughs> you know, when you see them there, but they're relentless and they're big and, and they will certainly be aggressive if they're cornered.
1: Yeah, and they'll take a chunk out of you on no, no certain uncertain yeah. terms. It's yeah, those band, bandit eyes are appropriate,
0: mm-hmm. aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, that's why they wear the mask. Anyone else? Tips? All right, just calm down one at a time.
3: I'm just thinking about Kevin And I hope he really has a go at doing this Because he can have so much fun There is nothing better than the challenge Of finding somewhere to wild camp And there's nothing better than waking up In the middle of nowhere With no sight of human beings Around just a magic view And you've got the world to yourself
2: And just knowing how much money you've saved And treat yourself to a (laughs) breakfast to celebrate Yeah, no, absolutely (laughs)
0: And you haven't saved any money You know, one of the things I I like the best of, of what you guys have said is the knocking on the door thing. You know, I think that's a really good tip and you just have to push yourself to do it. I was going to ask you, Graham, what that door looks like. You said, pick a door that looks good. I thought, what does that door look like? Anyway, was it a colour?
2: Well, you know, if you've got if you've got a, a fenced area or, or gated area before and the house is is way back, you don't really want to go through the gate <laughs> crunching down a long driveway to go knock on the door because <laughs> by the time you've got there it's probably not going to get the biggest welcome. So all I mean is, you know, if if it looks like an area that that might be a bit more open to uh, to, uh, to hospitality than someone who is is caged in their property and wants to stay that way. Um, mm. you, you kind of just have to make the judgment.
1: Yeah, if there's flowers on the porch, for instance, that's welcoming and inviting. If there's a do not trespassing, the dog bites worse than me, <laughs> uh, signs up. Well, okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe
2: signs sure. that one up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or ignore the dog, watch out for the owner, signs like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Use your well,
1: discretion.
0: I guess we've wrapped it up, haven't we? I, th- I think that's our our first one for 2020 done. That's our first one for into year five. And um, until next month, good fun. Well, okay. Yep.
2: Well, then. okay, okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hang, on. Hang on, did you have more?
3: No, but we didn't say goodbye to everybody.
1: No.
0: Well, then we Why should don't do we do just
1: that. say goodbye to
0: everybody. Why don't we do that? See you on the road. Yeah, fantastic. Cheers, everybody. Yeah, speak to you next month. <laughs> yeah. was very good yeah,
2: dream. Next month. Yeah, can I do that again? <laughs> no, it's gone now. I've lost all spontaneity. <laughs> Whatever I say now, it will just <laughs> sounds fake. Okay, Go hang on. on hang on.
0: Let, let's, let's do this properly. Graham, are you ready? I'm just going to give you a three, two, one. Three, two, one. Oh, wait, just one second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good Goodbye. <bye. laughs> okay yeah, well I guess that wraps it up everyone thank you very much great show great fun good talk to yeah, you that's next it's time
1: it's thanks for listening buddy see ya is that the
2: last goodbye <laughs> we could have another one
0: well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys. Uh, He also has uh, T-shirts and other things that he sells on his website at gramfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com.